0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catholic Truth, and welcome to another episode of debunking Protestant anti-Catholics who do not understand the Catholic faith. In this particular video, this man says that the Catholic Church is wrong because the Mass is demonic, and he gives a 10-minute sermon on how he thinks the Mass is wrong the Eucharist is wrong and why he doesn't think it's the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And so in this video, we are going to be debunking his claims right after this. Welcome to Catholic Truth. My name is Brian Mercier, president of Catholic Truth. I'm thankful for our whole team that helps to make this organization and ministry possible. And we are so thankful for all of our patrons out there who support this ministry and allow this ministry to be possible. So thank you to everybody who helps us out. If you haven't checked out our merch or our retreats or anything else, please see our description section below. This man says as a historian, he wants to make an accurate representation of Catholicism and not mislead people. And yet, as we're going to see, he doesn't always hold up on that. And he gives many erroneous things, including saying that the Eucharist is a pancake, a pancake. How can you be intellectually honest and call it a pancake when you know that is not true, if you have studied anything in history or anything about Catholicism. So, let's get to debunking and see what this man has to say.
1: I'm talking about this wafer that's produced by an order of nuns in some monastery or some nunnery somewhere that they have in front of you on that altar. Rising, he elevates it, and looking up at the sacred host with faith and piety and love, says, my Lord and my God, to that pancake, and then placing it in the corporal again adores it.
0: So his first argument was the Eucharist can't be the true body and blood of Christ. It can't be the Eucharist because it was made as a wafer by nuns. How is that an argument? Does that mean that it can't be it just because the wafer was made by nuns? One of the things you are going to see later in the video is he doesn't think that God can use physical means to communicate spiritual realities. But he did it all the time. Jesus, the apostles, they used physical things to bring about healing in people's lives. God can heal through any means, physical or non-physical, direct or non-direct. God can heal people. Jesus told a man to go wash in the pool of Siloam in John 9, 7, and the pool was man-made. It was made by people. Does that mean that God shouldn't have sent him there? That he couldn't be healed in the pool? Or does that mean that God can heal through any sort of mean he wants because he's all-powerful? Likewise, in Acts 19, 11 through 12, somebody touches a handkerchief to Paul and brings that handkerchief to somebody else, and they are immediately healed from their sickness. The handkerchief healed that person, or rather, God healed that person through Paul and his faith and through that handkerchief. That is God communicating physical healing, spiritual grace through physical means. That is God communicating spiritual healing and spiritual grace through physical means. And we see this all throughout the Bible. God uses real water, physical water, in baptism to renew us, to regenerate us, to wash away our sins, and to make us children of God. God works through that water. And in the same way, he can work through the host, whether it's man-made or not. God works. And to say he can't or he doesn't is a lack of faith, is it not? It's a lack of faith. It's saying, oh, God can only work this way, or God can only work that way. Jesus, he would not use mud to heal a blind guy's eyes. He would just heal him directly. That's the kind of faith or lack of faith that's being used here. But yet Jesus used mud and put spit in it, rubbed it on the guy's eyes, and chose to heal him using physical earth. So God can and does work through physical means. Saying that it was a wafer made in a factory doesn't prove anything except a lack of faith. And this argument, and many arguments that Protestants use in this regard— Are the same argumentations that atheists often use. Oh, well, it doesn't look like God. It looks like bread. You actually think Jesus is in there, atheists will say? It looks like bread. It tastes like bread. If you put it under a microscope, it's going to come out bread. And what kind of arguments do Protestants use? The exact same things. They'll say, you really think that Jesus is in a piece of bread? It's the same lack of faith and the same lack of spiritual understanding that atheists have It's the same atheist arguments that would say, you actually believe that Jesus was almighty God? That sounds a bit like Greek mythology to me. Greek mythology said that their gods became humans and they came down and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, you actually think that Mary was a virgin? Oh, well, it says so in the Bible, the Protestant will say. And the atheist will say, oh, well, that makes it a lot more palatable because an old book tells me that it's true. See, atheists go only by sight and they don't think there is something supernatural there or something supernatural that could happen. Whereas us Christians understand that you could have a virgin birth supernaturally if God is real and God does want that. Likewise, Jesus can be present in the Eucharist if God is real and if God wants that. And so it's only when we lack spirituality and lack belief in faith. Jesus was the one who said we must walk by faith and not by what? Sight. We must walk by faith and not by sight. And what are Protestants walking by many times? Sight. Especially when it comes to the Eucharist and they don't even realize that. The Jews didn't realize it either in John 6. Jesus said, "'You must receive his flesh and drink his blood to get into heaven and have eternal life and to abide in him.'" And the Jews said, wow, this is a hard teaching. We don't get it. And the Jews walked away from him. When? In John 6, 6, 6 in the Bible, the Jews walked with him no more. Many of his disciples who followed him up to this point walked with him no more. And I think that if the Protestants were in Jesus' day, they would have walked away from Jesus as Well, they would not have believed these hard words. Yes, they're hard words, but Jesus even looked to the apostles and said, do you want to walk away? Jesus let them walk away. Of course, they had faith. They didn't understand what it meant at the time, but they had faith. Now, some people say, oh, Jesus said he was a vine. Jesus said he was a door. Of course, but nobody misunderstood him there. Nobody actually thought he was a door. But everyone in John chapter 6, starting in verse 52, thought that he was speaking literally, and Jesus didn't change it. He upped it until verse 55. The word trogon in Greek is a shocking literal word which Jesus used. He did not use any symbolic language in that passage, but only got more literal. So, to say that Jesus can't be present in a wafer just because it was made by human hands doesn't prove anything. And to say that it doesn't look like Jesus or feel like Jesus is to have the same disbelief that atheists have when they look at the person of Jesus and say, oh, he doesn't look like God, he's just a man. Or Mary, it was much more likely that she got knocked up or had an accident rather than a virgin birth. I mean, really? You think a virgin birth happened? This is the kind of non-belief they have, and this is the same non-belief that Protestants sadly are giving when it comes to the Eucharist. They have to ask themselves, why did Christians believe in the Eucharist unanimously for 1,500 years? The first person to call it a symbol was Zwingli, and Luther and Calvin condemned him to hell for changing the teaching on the Eucharist and saying it was merely A symbol. Would God really wait fifteen hundred years to give us his truth about the Eucharist? That's the same argumentation that Mormons use that God waited eighteen hundred and twenty-nine years to give the truth of Christianity to Joseph Smith.
1: That quote, my Lord and my God, is from the twentieth chapter of of John's Gospel, and that was when Thomas knelt down, shoved his hand, or at least was invited to, into the riven side and the wounded hands of Christ. And he, seeing, believed, and Christ received him, saying, my Lord and my God. It's one of the greatest affirmations of Christ's deity in the Bible. And Christ said, blessed are those. Well, he said, You're, that's great, Thomas. He says, you see me and you believe, but blessed are those that don't see me and still believe.
0: He tries to explain away John twenty twenty eight, where Thomas says, my Lord and my God, and comes to believe in the divinity of Christ. Absolutely. But what did Jesus say? Blessed are those who believe, but don't see. He chided Thomas for going by his human eyes, by going by his human disposition, by going by what he thinks and feels and not by faith. Jesus is saying walk by faith. And this guy is saying don't. It doesn't look like Jesus in the Eucharist. you actually think he's there? Jesus would say go by faith and not by sight. Jesus was the one who said it's his body and blood. Jesus was the one who said you must receive it. And so we walk by faith.
1: You know what the Roman Catholic Church has done in the Mass? They've materialized the spiritual. They have have made into an object what cannot be Comprehended into an object through some hocus corpus mayum stuff. I've told you before that the Middle Ages were bound in the superstition of magic. By and large, greatly because of the Roman Catholic Church taking what everybody knew was just a wafer pancake deal. And that priest, many of whom were living a dissipated life. And I'm not criticizing. There were just many dissipated Protestant priests and clergymen as there are Roman ones. But those people that saw him, how he lived all week long, as Chaucer said in the 11th or 12th century, whenever he wrote his Canterbury Tales, he said, if the gold doth rust, what will the iron do? If the clergy are rotten, what are the people like? And if those people that saw the gold corrupted all week long saw him take a piece of normal bread and by going hocus corpus meum, change it into Jesus. They said that's the greatest magic in the world. And that's where our little term hocus pocus comes from.
0: This man goes on to say that the Catholics make into objects what can't be put into objects. And I guess, in other words, Almighty God can't be... In bread, if he wants, even though we're temples of the Holy Spirit and God is in us, very, very much in us. But And we are physical objects, by the way. We are physical beings and God resides in us. Why can't he reside in the Eucharist just because it's physical? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. This is the sort of non-faith that would say that God wasn't in a box in the Old Testament. God couldn't be in a box. You are trying to put a spiritual God, a spiritual reality in a physical box. That can't happen. <laughs> and yet, It happened. God was present in the Ark of the Covenant and the Jews wiped out armies using the Ark. There's not much difference between a box and a piece of bread. And yet, the box and the bread, really, not that much different. Both contained the presence of Almighty God because God chose and still chooses many times to work through and in physical objects. We are physical and spiritual beings. We need to see, hear, touch, feel, experience. And God communicates unseen spiritual realities through physical objects and manifestations many times. He goes on to say that people in the Middle Ages were steeped in superstition and magic... Magic... Due to the Catholic Church. He thinks that the words of consecration are magic. It seems like he's been reading too much Jack Chick. Jack Chick is known for his cartoon articles that are not based on fact but are based on fiction, and he says that the Eucharist is just a cookie, while this man calls it a pancake. It's not intellectually honest. It's not trying to grapple with the arguments. It's just trying to poke fun because you don't really have good arguments. Jack Chick, in these comics, says that the Catholic Church controls her people through witchcraft and magic. I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd. And this man says that the Catholic Church did the same thing. The people in the Middle Ages were steeped in magic and in superstition because of the Catholic Church, but he gives no evidence. I guess we're just supposed to take his word for it. Where's the proof, sir? Where is the proof that they were steeped in superstition and magic, first of all? Second of all, where's the proof that it was the Catholic Church that did it? You say you're a historian. I doubt that. I seriously doubt that, or else you've only studied a select history, because true history shows that the Catholic Church started the university system in the Middle Ages, in the Dark Ages, the time where they're supposed to be steeped in magic. It was the Catholic Church who taught math and science and English and all the different subjects to help teach people and pull them out of superstition if they were there in the first place. We went by science and math, and very much so. We did logic. We did rhetoric. So, We expanded education even outside of the university systems. So how does he get this? We are the ones who advanced science for over a thousand years. We have 35 craters named on the moon for Catholic priests because of our extraordinary advancements in math and science. We also invented the scientific method, law, economics, and many other things during the Middle Ages when supposedly we're just steeped in idiocy and darkness and magic and superstition but it doesn't make any sense because it's not true and that's why he didn't back it up with a single fact the words of consecration this sounds like an atheist argument he says the words of consecration are magic you just say some magic and it happens what are you serious so prayer doesn't work you can't pray to god and god can't work we don't believe that the priest changes it into the body and blood of the the Christ, we believe that the Holy Spirit himself comes down and does it. That's not magic. That's God working in and through physical means to bring us spiritual realities. That is God who gave the power and authority to priests to pray and offer up the mass, and God, the Holy Spirit, comes down and does the rest. This is an atheistic argument. Oh, something spiritual happened, so it must be magic. This is really, really poor argumentation. Again, he forgets that this was the unanimous belief of Christianity coming down from the first centuries. This is incredible that he can just ignore. be a historian and then just ignore 1,500 years of history. How can you do that and be an honest historian? The last thing he goes on to say is that many priests were living bad lives immoral lives. And this is supposed to be an argument because apparently God can't work through bad priests or evil people, except that he can and does. And in fact, Jesus says in Matthew 23— to listen to everything that the Pharisees tell you, even though they're hypocrites. Don't follow their example because they're hypocrites, but they sit on the seat of Moses and therefore have his authority. This is important. They did not lose their authority just because they were absolutely corrupt and immoral. God respects the authority that he gives his priests. And it is not taken away just because a few priests, or even some priests, or even if many priests don't live it. God is still going to work for his people. God is still going to give his graces for his people. God is still going to work through them for our sake. In a sense... In most cases, the sacraments are priest-proof. In other words, God works through them despite their personal faults and failings. But notice how he says many or most priests were living dissolute lives back then. Really? Which ones? That's what I would ask him. What were their names? I bet he can't name a single one. He doesn't even say how many there were. He's just throwing out these statements without backing himself up with Evidence or supporting himself with citations or facts of any kind. We're supposed to, again, just take his word for it. But the reality is, there's always been evil people in the church. Judas chose to betray Jesus right up until the very end. He was an apostle. And maybe Jesus even worked through him. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But we do know that the apostles were very sinful men. They all betrayed Jesus, they ran away from Jesus in the garden. Peter specifically betrayed Jesus. Peter specifically. Was is called Satan. I mean, several times throughout the Bible, Jesus chides these apostles for having no faith, for having little faith, for not doing what they're supposed to, for not believing, and they do bad things, and Jesus still chose them to lead the church. This is amazing that God chooses sinful human beings to lead the church to help us, and he works through the church. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to guide it into all truth. But for 2,000 years, Christians have believed in the Eucharist. For 2,000 years, we believe that Jesus is truly present there in a special way with us and it's a gift that he has given us so he can live in our hearts. And just because some priests were bad, that doesn't disprove anything. Judas was bad. Many of the early leaders in the church were bad. Paul was worried that people were going to come in and disperse the flock because of corruption, and yet they didn't. The church does not belong to the priests. It belongs to Jesus. And Jesus is going to watch over his church and protect his church and help his people and guide his people through the church despite some sinful members who might be trying to steer the church in the wrong direction or who might personally be living dissolute or immoral lives. Yes, they will be held responsible big time on Judgment Day for that. But Jesus himself is going to work through the Church nonetheless and guide us into all truth, just as he promised. Thank you so much for watching this video today and thank you so much in advance for sharing it and for liking it. Please check out our show notes below. If you would like a retreat, if you would like us to come to your parish and fire you up with a confirmation retreat, a parish retreat, a weekend retreat, a spiritual seminar, uh, apologetics seminars, parish missions, you name it, check out our website at thecatholictruth.org. We would love to come serve your parish and fire you up. If you would like to check out our website for our merchandise, our new shirts, bumper stickers, Uh, mugs and CDs, DVDs, and more. Check that out below. And please, if you will consider supporting our ministry, $10 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month. People give all kinds because they truly believe that we are saving souls and changing lives. And every day, and almost every week, we get people who say, thank you. You're the reason we came back to the church. You are the reason that we're Catholic again. Or you're the reason we've come to the Catholic Church, and we used to hate the Catholic Church. And it's because of our ministry, and it's because of people like you supporting us. So thank you in advance. Thank you for all the people who do support us. And thank you in advance for continuing to watch our videos and praying for us because we're always praying for you. God bless you. Hi, everyone. My name is Kate. I'm the video editor here at Catholic Truth. And I just wanted to say on behalf of all of us, thank you so much for taking some time to watch our videos and learn more about your faith. You guys really make this channel possible and we truly appreciate you being here. So thanks again and God bless.